Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object podcast. This is a podcast about marketing technology, what it is, how it works, and what the opportunities are for the brands and agencies that want to use them. Uh, I interview interesting people that I know and that I also like. Uh, So it gives me massive pleasure to introduce Rachel Faulkner. Hello. Hello, Tom. Great to be here. That's good that you put your thumb up first (laughs) in a non-audio way. Um, Can you tell the audience who may not be familiar with your work what you do? Yeah, of course. So, hi there, I'm Rachel Falconer. I'm head of Goldsmiths Digital Studios, which is a spin-out of Goldsmiths University. Um, We're a creative um, technology prototyping studio offering um, fast or rapid prototyping and innovation solutions um, to the creative industries. I guess our specialisations, our main ones are virtual reality, AI, machine learning, signal processing, um, and a number of different other technologies that have a creative outlet. Um, We we were really set up to be a test bed for industry and a space for creative experimentation for technology-driven creative experiences. And you used to be an advertising person. I did. I used to work um, originally at McCann Erickson, Milan, Italy, as a TV producer. Um, And then I moved into what was then viral advertising um, before moving back to the UK. And then how did did you go from from that into ruling the roost at Goldsmiths? So I actually went back to college I went to the Royal, Royal Academy Royal College of Art and did a curating course um, and specialized in um, digital art and networked um, creativity and then kind of sidestepped back into my original um, sort of area of expertise which was industrial design um, and create and communication design in particular so I then started um, working for space studios and ran their digital arts and design um, residency as part of the Bloomberg um, Foundation's um, initiative, running the White Building in Hackney Wick and working on different um, digital art and design projects Flipping before egg. moving into to Goldsmiths in my present role. So it's customary on this podcast for me to ask semi-awkward getting to know you questions um do you mind if i ask you a couple you go for it cool so right let's let's go in with a big one to rev it up a bit what has been your biggest horriblest most embarrassing work failure that has then subsequently set you up for success so i mean i think working in creative tech you're setting yourself up for failure (laughs) Because things fuck up all the time. You know, I mean, I guess my pattern in in my career has been setting things up. So setting up like a co-working space for creative technologists um, in an area of London called the... um, the hardware or open hardware um, short mile um, a few years ago and I guess the area wasn't actually ready for for kind of the open hardware or distributed manufacturing scene at the time but people were interested yeah go for it the open hat hardware hardware distribution team open hardware open hardware it's okay so I'll give you can you you explain what that means sorry I've never heard those words so you know 3D printing yeah otherwise known as distributed manufacturing. So the idea is you send a, a blueprint of something to somebody in Thailand and they can make your design for you. Yeah. And without paying yeah, yeah. for it. So it's like, an, it's, just, it's like software, open, open source software, yeah. but translated into the hardware space. So there was a really cool company called OpenDesk, which I think is still okay. going in, in, um, in Mare Street in Hackney. And... Their kind of business model was predicated on open hardware, so sending blueprints for furniture to be manufactured elsewhere in right. the world. Yeah. Okay. And so, you've been your career has been setting these these things up. Yes. Yeah, I guess it. I guess the pattern is that setting up collaborative working 
situations within a networked situation, i.e. not just a studio where people sit around and discuss ideas and make something as a result of that, but perhaps looking at more distributed ways of working, so working with people physically distributed around the world, but also looking at different interdisciplinary um, crossovers that might occur um, within a collaborative environment. So come on, be honest, what what are those failures what tell me about a specific one where you were like oh my god I've totally balls that up and then how did you recover from that so we're getting to specifics here. yeah come on let's get yeah, specific let's get nitty gritty about it um so I think setting up a, a co-working space for creative practitioners to come, to come in and, um, I guess, experiment with ideas, I hadn't really taken into account the fact that um, people are not necessarily going to want to share their creative ideas with the person sat next to them at the desk and perhaps the companies that are actually associated with them aren't that happy about their ideas bleeding into into a room full of creative people so you've got this kind of utopian view of you know this collaborative atmosphere that you want to create but you have you know I didn't really take into account the fact that there would be um you know this kind of bleed of ideas or, or fear of the bleed of ideas or this kind of territorial attitude towards the the leaking of um of prototyping and how, ideas and how were they leaking was well, if you if if you had somebody from one company sitting next to another person from another company working out as a sort of outsourced researcher and prototyper, um, so developing things for their company, but on a very experimental level, which was the reason I set up the space yeah. for these things okay. to breathe and grow, um, there there would be the potential for IP issues to arise if somebody had made something. And did that happen? Um, there were concerns that it would happen, which was why we had to kind of put stoppers on the whole situation for a while so okay. that was horrible and what and give me some uh, sense of the scale of that was it like yeah so we'd six set everything up yeah we t- we, this was the pilot year so we'd set everything up everybody was keen to go there had been a number of different sprints and i'd run a number of different workshops and things were getting quite a lot of attention and and really getting up and going and this situation occurred i think one one organization actually clocked onto the fact that they're you know, there could potentially be a leakage of ideas in a collaborative space, which, which is of course possible. I mean, that's that's going to happen. Kind um, of the point. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that's kind of indicative of a lot of the way things are are working at the moment, with IP being kind of an afterthought, intellectual property, and and all the kind of leg- legal and legislative um, infrastructure being kind of an afterthought. Whereas, in fact, I think from ex- from that experience, I've found that particularly with Goldsmith Digital Studios, it has to be, you know, one of the first things that you that you use in, in crafting the the business model, is it, in the first place. So so with that with that in mind, I and mean, you presumably you'd have had to learn to say no to some situations because you've seen it not working in the past. So in the last kind of three, four, five years, what else have you become better at saying no to professionally? Without sounding too cliched about it, which I think I think that question can you can fall down a rabbit hole on that one a, num- a number of times. But I would say, um, as a curator, I'm also a, a digital art curator. Um, is you've got to be selective. You've got to aggregate um, your network of people that you um, that you spend time with. I think time is is not necessarily money, but time is a resource that you have to be careful with, particularly within a social networking space that you hope to leverage into a professional opportunity so I'm not saying sort of cut out the dead wood but it's important to choose who you want to spend your cut professional out time with the dead wood and this is in this is in a uh, in a physical social space right yeah this isn't just people on yeah LinkedIn so if you're a, okay. if you're at a convention or if you're at a festival or if you're um, you know, going to a meet-up or something like that, then I think I've found that particularly within the creative tech space, there's a lot of people lot wanting of to get in there. Um, and you've got, to, you know, you've got to find natural affiliations with people and, and be true to that. So do you think that, um, that networking becomes more difficult in that scenario? 
<laughs> what, I, what I mean, um, so you, you as a, a curator and organiser of spaces and so on, your, your time and energy and resource is, is sought after. So you kind of attracting dead wood as, opposed, as well as talent. Like how, do you, how do you manage networking in that scenario? There is that as well. I mean, that, that's painting a picture of me as being a very kind of sought-after, egotistical creature, but I think we all are. When, when we enter into a networking situation, we all have an agenda. We've all got something to, to either learn or to give, and I think it's really important to be aware of what your positioning is within that. So that, you know, your attitude might change um, depending on what kind of social, professional situation you find yourself in. And it's important to always, I think, what I've learned over the, the last few years is to be clear about what you would like to either give or learn from the situation. Right, and you, you think about that for every, every I think networking so. or network situation yeah. you go into. Without, without excluding happy coincidences or being open to new encounters I think that I think maybe we've learned that maybe from from social networking as well I think maybe that's a behavior that's translated into into the real world that we are aggregators of people Do you know, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> it's true we are aggregators of people I thought of it like that um, I mean I I, uh, I realized uh, last night when I was chatting to some mates and made me dinner that um, socials has changed the way that we say goodbye to people. Like, but we were saying that when we were kids and we had anyone visit us, family or or uh, or friends, yeah. you'd wave them off. Yeah, you know, you go to the front door and you'd like and you'd, you'd wave wait like they go around the corner. Yeah, mm. yeah, right. and that mm. was because literally you weren't going to see them again for yeah. however long. Um, and whereas now, like, you know, like at Christmas, I left after being there for a week. And honestly, I said goodbye to like three people. And I would just uh, really tell them I'm off. I mean, I'm assuming that's it's not because they just don't like me. But you, know, you think, well, well, I'll, I will. That's definitely not the last time I'm going to see them. Yeah. So, so there is that bleeding of behaviour that, that you've begun to notice. Um, so kind of slightly, take a slightly different tack here. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the most useful thing that you've bought with your own money that you've used at work I think I'm going to flip that and say I've again I'm looking at decreasing the the things that I have and the devices that I use as professional props so um, a lot of my job is finding or spotting talent and matchmaking um, looking at looking at people or, or services or businesses or artists, etc., that have a potential crossover with each other. Um, and there are loads of different ways and tools for doing that, but I've reverted to something as lame as a notebook. I've got rid of a lot of my sort of technical props, even though I, I kind of work in the tech space. And, and what kind of notebook do you use? Is it like... A- it's, like A4, it, like lots of different it, coloured pens. It has to be really specific. It has to be a really good quality um, paper that I yeah, use that's yeah, easy yeah, to use with a pencil. So I've gone right back to kind of very, very basics. Um, and I used to be gadgeted up to the eyeballs. I mean, I used to be that. I mean, that used to be a particular because when you work in the tech environment, you're bombarded with you know maybe free technical tools that you can try out and different right. things so so it's almost like it, it, it became it came to a point of saturation and I think that's again a, a process of elimination rather than than res, you know relying on on something I'll tell you about one thing though that I think that might yeah, add, do, add to yeah, that. I mean you might think this is nonsense no no go um, for it is a, there is an app called Scannable yeah have you so is it's that lovely, is that not, is that it? not just uh, sorry? What Scannable does is it yeah. takes a photo of your notes and then reinterprets that as if they were beautifully presented. So yeah. you can take a photo from an angle, but it'll just make it like head on. And then you can. Uh, the reason I don't use it is it links to Evernote, not Google mm. Docs. So yeah. But, uh, so that even that is well, like I use too Evernote much a lot, or used to. So that that's really helpful. Um, but I think taking that. Like into the ne- onto the next level and look at natural language processing. Soon we'll be able to really start working with our notes and our sort of tech 
support and devices in a much more intuitive way instead of like scanning our notes and, and transcribing them onto onto the digital format it might be that a conversation could be taken up between our cognitive response jotting something down on a piece of paper and then how we decide to store and aggregate that on our device I think we tend to collect and aggregate things more on our tablets on our computers on our phone and we use the notebook perhaps as a way of you know, first impression of something. But I think that the real, well, that, that's the kind of assimilation of man and machine, isn't it, trying to get the cognitive process to, to kind of translate across everything that we use. So I used to use pen and paper, and I'd just I'd write everything down, and then I'd go and type it all up. Yeah. And so now I just, like, every meeting I have is I open a Google Doc and just type, type, and then it's kind of done. And it's done. Yeah. But do you think I'm missing out on something by not I think meetings down? are fine to do that, perhaps um more of an you know, more of the analytical work that you and I do could perhaps have more of a, a space, you know, from notebook to to computer or to our repository or how we want to look at our Google Doc space. Um it could be a much smoother process, it could be more intuitive. And I think maybe technology could help us do that. Yeah, it'd be nice if you could flip between two different modes. Like, I've got a friend, the only person I know is um, Matt uh, Robinson Burton. He has, like, a, a Samsung notebook with a, a pen, and he every meeting I have with him, he, he writes it all down, and I'm always like, oh, that looks so good. But I don't sure I want to spend 700 no. quid on a <laughs> Samsung notebook. He's obviously doing better than me. Right, okay, so next uh, random getting-to-know-you yeah. question. Um if you had a digital media budget of 10 million quid to get any message out there, what would it be? And for the listeners who can't see what's going on, Rachel is giggling I mean, with glee. With glee, but also, like, question back at you, why would you p- pick that amount of money? What would, what was, what's the 10 million? Is that a... It's an obscene amount of budget to spend on It could be a tipping point. Something. It might not be enough. You know, it's... It's one of those strange figures in ad spend that, yeah. Um, well, I wonder what figure would cover every mm, every media property. Like this is this is what I'm thinking. Like if it's fifty billion, you could yeah, literally yeah, yeah. buy every space everywhere simultaneously. Exactly. So, Rachel, you've got fifty billion pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so you would, we're, cha- we're chasing the big idea again now, aren't we? On this one, which is kind of what we're. Well, I'm 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 not sure about that anymore as a as a thing, but um, the I'm, message would be would be the key thing to to get right, wouldn't it? But um, on, what would your message be? Stop skirting around. Why did you actually ask you a slightly different question? Why were you smiling so much when I asked you that question? And it can't be because of the figure of ten million. Pounds. It's just it's the question that um, that has been asked of of people for generations, isn't it? Of um, within within the ad world is you know what's the what's the correlation between um, money and and the message? You know what, what is the power? Because you know if, if your message went out on on one tweet and if it was strong enough. And it, if it hit the right button, then it would have exactly the same impact as if it. That's true. That, that's also bit, an um, excellent politician's answer. But I'm, I'm going to push you on this. You you could. You could have the poo emoji, and push out across 10, 10 million quid's worth of media. And I guess that would be my first reaction to that question, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to have to think about that. I, I, right, I'm, no, you can't okay. push me for that. Right, um, I'm, I'm not sure how enough. seriously I can take that question. <laughs> right, so moving along. In the last five years, apart from learning to be a politician on difficult questions, which new belief or behaviour has most improved your work life? So I think I think probably going back to the the elimination and the the clearing out of things. Um, I think saying I think saying no. I think saying no to not necessarily just um, invitations or 
um, networking opportunities, but also no to some of the professional impulses that I think is becoming part of our learned behaviour. I think the big thing for me is to create space as much as possible within a day um, to try and look at things in a, in a kind of big picture um, scenario, like look at the look at things from a, a big distance rather than trying to to get your to do list done. I think it's a common thing that people advise in like self help books and professional help books like you know Tim Ferriss etc. But um, I think it's really important to to create that space. Um, well, and I, I agree, but tell me how you do that. So it's Wednesday morning. You're half hungover, which might yeah, happen. Yeah, can happen. And then, you know, you've got 50 emails and you've got four hour-long meetings. How do you find the space to think creatively and strategically? Well, I think the technical buzz is is an addiction. So, obviously, email is an addictive circuit that we get ourselves into. Um, meetings um, depends where you work, but you can't always avoid them. But you've got to try and schedule in that that reflection of time and I think for particularly the job that I do at the moment um, when you're setting something up that's quite complex that involves a number of different um, criteria and when you're trying to match make between perhaps um, two spaces or two industries that are perhaps odds with, with each other then you need that time to figure out how you know how it's going to look in five months time five years time you need that space to, to project. And I don't think a normal work day as we live it now really creates the opportunity to do that because it's very reactive, it's very responsive. And um, so, so do you book that time in? Do you go like these four hours or this? Yeah, these I do. Three days? I have to. Like that that has to happen. And do you, um, is there a specific time of the week that you do that? Or is it just I'll I'll get I can bookend it, I can do Monday, Friday. Um, but I also find like midweek is quite good because you've had time to do the firefighting so you haven't got that anxiety um you can kind of book it in on wednesday thursday and it used to be 11 o'clock on friday didn't it when in the 80s and 90s i don't know if you've read the there's there's been a lot of theories about that but i think it's um i think midweek is pretty good because you've you've had the opportunity to consolidate things that were perhaps hanging over you over the weekend um, but you've got enough energy left in you to kind of like have a look at the rest of the week instead of going, you know, let's go to the pub. And you you take the whole day to do that? Take half a day if I can. If I haven't got anything like urgent, urgent, it's, it's a good half day. And sorry to be so specific, I, just, no, no. I find it fascinating. So will you do that in the office or will you go home? No, or, definitely like... not in the office. Again, if I can get out, I go. I get out, but also even if you go to, if, for me, it works. Just moving out of my normal work environment. I don't really have a normal work environment, but the mo- at the moment. But when I did, it was definitely something that I tried to do was, you know, dislocate myself from a you know professional environment to try and find that space for um, reflection. And okay, so brutal honesty time. How how many times out of 10 will you do that Te- on 10 average like in a weeks month. yeah yeah I mean it de- well at the moment hardly any because it's it's pretty intense but um on a good month I would probably say twice which is enough right you know even once is enough to be fair just have um, a half a day yeah. of, of free thought exactly and do you do you not take your phone with you Are you pencil and paper both as long as I'm not checking emails. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the killer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that, that's really really interesting because I'm I'm this I'm in this mindset of uh, whether I should do that. Obviously, just set up my own business. So, um, I was chatting to a couple of lads from uh, Creative AI. Did you yeah. meet them the other yeah, night? Yeah, uh, I did. Roloff and Alex, who yeah. are just like incredibly interesting guys and really smart and they told me about this thing called Conrad's Law did they, did they get onto this? No So Con- I don't think it's a law I think it's more Conrad's opinion to yeah. be honest but Conrad's Law states that a company's product will reflect exactly its culture and how it's set up so if you look at Google mm. like it's got you've got um, 
Google Maps, you've got Google Docs, you've got uh, Android, you've got Google Earth. Yeah. They're very, they're a, culturally a very compartmentalised business, apparently. And so as a result, and those things don't really talk to each other. I mean, they, I guess they would say that they do, and I guess they mm. do to a degree. Yeah. But it's not like, it's it's lots of small departments talking to each other as opposed to being, being a whole. Um, and I thought that, you know, me having set up this business, like, well, right, if that's true, then... I, I I absolutely must prioritise creative and strategic thought that's unhinged from the day to day. Because if I'm just sat in there, mm. you know, being a kind exactly. of email monkey, then that's what will come out, right? I'll yeah. just be like an email reading. You business. can see the genesis of it from the beginning. It will reflect on yeah. on the outcome. So I'm I'm toying with the idea of uh, just having Friday off to to think creatively and yeah. strategically. Um, which is tomorrow. It's tomorrow. No emails for me. Fantastic. Um, so I'll I'll let you know how that goes, man. But uh, <laughs> I'm slight, I'm slightly slightly nervous. But then, do I not check my email at all, or do? Like... Well, this is the question, isn't it? Can you not check email for a day? You know, yeah, well, the, well yeah. I can. But well, what's the co- what's the cost of doing what's that? What's the cost? Well, the, the you decide the cost. <laughs> Hey, whose podcast is this? <laughs> right, okay, cool. So we've done half an hour of getting to know you. Right. Um, I've got to stop doing that in a weird voice. So this is the Shiny New Object podcast where we look at latest cool shit in marketing and then try to get under the skin of it a bit. Yeah. Um, so um, with I just did a, a podcast with Dave and Patrick and their Shiny New Object was... A human brain and technology, mm. which is really good. Mm. Um, but we've decided to talk about blockchain. We have. We so have indeed. Can you right? This is the worst question Shit. possible. Can you explain what blockchain technology is, without saying distributed ledger? I can try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can try. So I, 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 we can assume a, a kind of beginner level understanding yeah, of, of blockchain of for this for the audience of this podcast. Yeah. But what? How do you how do you describe it to your mates who don't work in it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a big problem in general. Um, not being able to summarize something that is on the you know at the base of it very very simple, um, but it's a democratized way of recording transactions without a gatekeeper through a networked collection of computers. Um, that only a certain subscribed group of people can be part of. And the way that they arrive at a decision is through creating um, consensus between the group of computers. So um, this is where the kind of um, non-hierarchical middleman um, or non-existent, the, the, the getting rid of the middleman, should I say, um, happens or occurs is each transaction is verified on a random basis um, by one of the computers in this in the designated system. Um, I think I've actually made that more complicated than it needed to be. Um, I was just trying to just dodge the whole distributed ledger no, no, thing. You might just chuck it Fuck. in. Chuck so, it in. Um, so um, okay. So I I think that was a, a a great description. But can you give me an example of that in action to? help bring that to life sure i mean i think that the way that a lot of people describe it is like having a shared google doc with lots of with you know with or or a notebook that's left in a car um by one of the members of the group but everybody else has the has the same notebook with the same notes in at the same time um and why left in a car that seems like a it it was it just seems to be one of those examples that happened i mean I, i can't remember the last time i left anything in a car but um so, so I like that description of a Google Doc. Okay, so why why are you interested in blockchain? So I guess within the... Um, I'm just going to sort of refer it back to marketing. Yeah, and, and look And look at where we're at with, um, with marketing. Um, I, I guess the key areas for the marketing community for blockchain have been in our um, sort of fraud verification, security... Um, creating transparency and trust between brands and the consumer um, and sort of tracking um, influencers. Um, it's, it, blockchain at the moment, as far as I can see, within the marketing space is used as a verification and tracking device 
um, within the trusted community of, of users, um, which is which is which certainly improves trust and efficiencies within the marketing space. And I can see how how that could potentially be used um, to to further the um, the relationship between brands and consumer. But I guess the application of the blockchain within the creative space that I'm interested in is perhaps um, a more community-led um, version of that where we're looking at community building um, within the marketing space as a as a kind of a new and democ- democratised um, entity. Can we just jump back one second yeah. to the, the marketing applications of blockchain before we get into sure. the art world, which is fascinating. You talked about fraud verification and tracking influences. So yeah. can you s- describe specifically how a brand who is listening to this podcast could use the blockchain to do both those two things? So, for example, there's this um, company called Ternio. Um, I don't know if you've I come across that. that. T-E-R-N-I-O, um, which has been set up specifically to do this for the um, marketing and ad industry. And they use blockchain technology to verify users, pay publishers, um, um, and and basically protects agencies from ad fraud, um, which I think is one of the main focuses of um, of blockchain technology as applied to the marketing space. Okay, so how does that work? How does that practically? So it's it's basically blockchain can be used to identify bots who kind of um, pose as consumers through the click-through dynamic. So the blockchain technology can verify whether the click-through is being activated by an actual real person or by a bot, which is very useful um, uh, within the marketing space. And and what kind of stage are they at? Are they an established business now? Are they getting... They're they're definitely... 2017, last year, was very much the establishing kind of curve or or point of development, and now these businesses are being, you know, recognised and used, and will be um, increasingly so um, over the next sort of 18 months, I would imagine, because obviously that is a key... um, problem within the the community and sorry to get yeah no 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 uh, super uh, into this but I think it's fascinating so how how is their blockchain or the technology that Tony is using alongside the blockchain how does that detect whether it's a bot or a person clicking on an ad well basically every transaction will have an identity which is a, a transaction is a, a, a click through or um, oh, do you mean transaction after the click through yeah or, okay exactly so but you can set things up as a identifiable structure in the first place um, so one of the key features of blockchain is that every transaction or every action that is performed on the blockchain will have a unique um, identity um, so everything is traceable and, and accountable and, and trackable. So that, that that technology works very well for um, programmatic, for example. It's been that's certainly a space where blockchain is is developing within the marketing space as well. And I think identity and, and transparency features within the technology of blockchain are going to be increasingly used by um, by by marketeers. And how about the trading influencers? Tra- trading? Trading. trading? Tracking, tracking influencers. Sorry, influences. I can't even read my own handwriting. So again, um, influencers, their, their kind of um, veracity or, or, or genuine um, influence can be, can be um, traced through the blockchain technology by detecting whether the influencers have um, statistical clout or actually have um, quantifiable um, followers. So it, click farms, for example, will be um, something of the past if this technology is implemented in a in a true um, and consensus building fashion. And is that Tonio doing that as well, or is that? A, is they, that a I think, I believe that they are. I think that um, I, I do think there are a number of different um, startups that are aiming to to look at that. Um, there is. A startup called Behaviour Exchange, um, who are aiming to tokenize user behaviour, offering a sort of credit system between advertisers and the consumer, um, 
aiming to really sort of um, remove the middlemen um, managing big media. I guess it was going to be inevitable that this is becoming um, a dynamic or a pattern of behaviour, but there, there is a real um, move to get rid of the middlemen and become like the source. And how does that work, I wonder, with um, people having the ability to sell their own data? Because there was a couple of yeah. startups in the last kind of four or five That's years right. where you could you could declare who you were yeah. and even put your social con- contacts and your even your bank details. Yeah. And, you, and I did it, I, c- I can't remember the name of the company, but I'd get these notifications going, you've earned £1.52 exactly. well, from, your, from your data this week. I think, and that's that's taking like the big picture stance as well, looking at it as, um, blockchain as a, a social um, changer or signifier, something that's going to change social behaviour that will obviously have a knock-on effect of on how marketers, you know, kind of um, consume and use data um with their clients, so the the drive towards transparency and ownership of data um, that's encouraged by the blockchain technology um, has to be anticipated. I would suggest by brands and their their agencies, and you know, well in advance, in order to be reactive and, and responsive to that. And so, if if you listen to this podcast and you're a marketer and you think, right, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Other than speaking to these startups, and I'll, I'll share the links in the show notes, how, how would a brand go about using blockchain technology? What, what's an account, easy step or a first protocol? Um, I would say look at the look at the startups within your particular um, area of, of expertise, but I'd also say look at some of the more open source um, Kind of startups, particularly those working on the Ethereum blockchain structure, as opposed to um, any other. I think that increasingly the the kind of smart contract space is going to be um, a really interesting space for marketers to look at as well. Can you take two steps back there? Yeah. Um, Sorry, so shall I define Ethereum? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we'll for, go for Ethereum. I, mean, I, I know so, what it is mostly. So, but. so Ethereum is the, I guess, the alternative to um, to Bitcoin, or one of the main competitors to the Bitcoin um, structure. It's it's it is a it's built on blockchain, um, but the thing about Ethereum is it is actually a much more open structure um, and infrastructure. It offers a lot more services, but it's also one of the one of the main um, providers and developers of um, something called a smart contract, which differs from a cryptocurrency in the sense that you can add more clauses and definition onto onto each transaction. So within we, the chain. we I can go watch you at Innovation Social. Yeah. And you present it on a blockchain panel. And it was you and oh, who else? Who else spoke? Anyway, um, yeah. And, were, um, and then um, uh, the lady sat next to me, put her hand up, and went, "What's a smart contract?" What's a smart contract? It, you know, it, exactly. I, and so I just think can this, you get like, super where, specific yeah. on, on what that is? So, um, smart contracts are essentially, um, if you think about the blockchain in the most simplistic terms, it's a series of transactions. Um, so if you look at a smart contract, it's a series of transactions that have, um, if you do this, then this will happen, clauses within them. So you can build upon a blockchain or look at a blockchain as a series of um, super safe consensus building um, contracts between businesses or between people. So, for example, there is a, a, an organisation called Materium who are using smart contracts to um, bring the digital into the physical realm, whereby they're using smart contracts to um, within the real estate space to um, formulate mortgage contracts between um, clients and businesses. Um, so a smart contract is essentially a transaction Within the bit, within the blockchain infrastructure, that has that has more information that can has the potential to have more information and more um, more use cases, use clauses that can be applied to to each transaction. So it's it's really creating a bespoke environment in which 
um, businesses can use the blockchain technology. So can you give me like a, a fictional example of a, of a brand? I am um, Argos. Yeah. And I want, I've gone and found uh, some startups in, in my area yes. that are uh, uh, supplying services that are using Ethereum technology. Like yeah. how, can you just talk through how that, how that might play out? So they're using Ethereum technology startups and they want to work in collaboration with Argos. Yeah. It, that you might well use an, a, a blockchain, oh, sorry, a, a smart contract um, to set up a, a contract of collaboration between the two parties or quite simply a means of a contract of payment. So you could you could tra- you could transfer all of the the payments um, mechanisms that you have within your business and put it onto um, an Ethereum smart contract, so that both parties um, were walking into a situation in with with the trust and with the the kind of clauses in place before that collaboration even began. It's but it would be automatically. Um, Verified, it wouldn't need either party to be the gatekeeper. It would be a an entity of of, of it on its own. So, uh, have I understood this right? That you'd say, okay, startup X, you are going to deliver me fifty thousand downloads yeah. of my app, and you will do this by Sunday, the twelfth of May, and you won't use any um, bots to do this, and you um, and you won't. You won't let anyone under the age of sixteen sure. download this. Yeah. And if someone delivered all of those things, that would automatically trigger payment because there was a smart contract that tracked each of those digital actions. That's explained much better than I would have. Right. <laughs> that was exactly what I was trying to to kind of get my finger on. And yeah. So there's some interesting uses that I've heard of conversationally yeah. in, in the art world. Uh, I think around um, legitimising. Uh, what an actual artwork is, who owns what, sure. what's, the, what's the value of so-and-so. But when when you spoke in Innovation Stories, which was excellent, uh, you talked about some really creative uses of the blockchain in in pure art. Is that, can I say there pure were, art? You can is say that, pure art. That, and that's, that's a proper term for that? I don't um, know, well, I don't know. But I, I, I'd move away from, like, I'm trying to move away from from all of that as well because I think the two, you know, the, the fine art worlds, fine art. if you like. Um, Thank you. And the um, the marketing and advertising space are becoming more and more entwined due to technologies um, that have a, a creative application. Um, Tell me more about but, that. I mean, I think that the advertising world and the fine art world have always had, you know, super clear connections and, you know, influence over each other. But because the technology that we that we use is becoming a kind of democratic platform, i.e. artists are using um, creative applications of technology and people working in digital agencies are and, and people that are within a create have a creative output within a, a more consumer or commercial um, space are using the same tools as artists, if you like, within the art world are, um, then I think the, there's a, a common medium um, that's kind of bringing them together. And I think the influence at the moment is really interesting to see between the two. And it's not just because of the medium. I think it's also the fact that a lot of artists are working with the medium, but also critiquing um, the digital world. And I think a lot of advertising um, and and some of the m- most interesting ideas that are coming out of the marketing space are um, are becoming more involved with the the, the kind of network effect of, of our of our lives. Okay. Um, so give me an example. Where, where have you seen where have you seen that crossover really, really produce a kind of rich outcome? I would say that there hasn't been a rich outcome. I don't that's think a terrible thing, a rich outcome. I don't think there's oh, a, I love a, I love a rich outcome. outcome. It's, I'm, it's, I'm it's, just lo- losing no, no, speak like a human <laughs> being. Apologies. A rich outcome. <laughs> like when's, when, so you're saying it's, it's crossing over. Like when it's does when's that work well? It's crossing over, but I, I mean, I think that going back to blockchain, I, I think that there is more leverage that the, the marketing and advertising space can get out of um, a consensus building, community building um, structure such as a, a blockchain. So the core motivation be- behind blockchain is tokenization. So people need to buy into 
the idea or the the, the particular use of blockchain um, to create the community around it, to create the, the infrastructure itself. Um, so I think that is perhaps not being spoken about as much as um, perhaps the, the kind of fraud evasion and other more kind of practical uses, if you like, if I can use that word, of blockchain within the marketing space. So perhaps it might be interesting to look at other um, other ways of community building. Because, I mean, the blockchain is actually being described as the, you know, potentially the new internet. So it's it's got all sorts of utopian baggage loaded upon upon it and um, expectation is high that it will create this kind of new free and open um, web again but what does that mean to marketers what does that what what is the knock-on effect of that and I think that's in a really you know interesting um, space to kind of um, interrogate perhaps now as the technology is is um, developing and it's it's still very um, national is still at the very beginning so Maybe it's now that the bigger, more kind of abstract ideas need to be played out. And so, what are the what are the, from the fine art world? What are the most interesting examples that you've seen of using the blockchain? For? Well, I think to be honest, the art world is kind of at the same stage as the rest of the creative community in the sense that they're still figuring out exactly what the ramifications of the technology are. So artists typically comment and critique existing cultural or social artefacts. So the work that I've seen on, you know, kind of referencing or using the blockchain from fine artists has been more more kind of critique on the existing blockchain technology rather than using blockchain technology for, you know, a a really interesting purpose. Um, so maybe what we need to do is like reference back to the genesis of this, which are the creative technologists and te- and technologists and developers using and developing the blockchain technology and looking at you know possible use cases and looking at how the market behaves towards them, but towards blockchain. Um, because I think that nobody knows quite what to do with it, including artists. So give me an example of, of an artist using blockchain to comment on it. Um, so I think I, I showed you a couple of examples. I think there was one that um, is perhaps one of the clearest examples, which was um, Sarah Friend's game, um, where every it was I think it was a mining game that I showed you. Yeah. So one of the biggest, um, you know, kind of, Effects of um, blockchain technology is the environmental um, deficit that we're experiencing uh, because of the sheer computer power needed to um, generate the transactions on the blockchain, which is um, basically using up a lot of um, resource um, and having a direct effect on the environment. So Sarah's game... I heard it said that... Uh, was it Bitcoin in a mm. year uses as much power as Ireland? Ireland. I think that's the classic example, right. isn't okay. it? Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely a thing. But there, are, there, are, way, there are ways to get around it, though. I mean, right. this is okay. the other thing. It's like all of this is not inevitable. I mean, this is what... I mean, one of my favourite writers on, and developers and scientists on it is um, Jaron Lanier, who, who kind of always says, like, technological you know, development and evolution is not inevitable. Um, you know, we, we have control over it's, it, the way that it plays out. Um, so if blockchain technology is having a negative effect on the environment, then surely we should be thinking and anticipating ways of counteracting that already, whether it's through um, looking at alternative sources of energy or um, or devising technological solutions to to actually counteract the the kind of mining process itself so this is where i think we need to become a lot more involved in um in the technology itself so we've got to wrap it up now unfortunately so how yeah if um so if a market is i think there's great advice to go and find where the startups are um and and don't worry too much about the ins and outs of the technology. Think about how your business is going to be compatible with a blockchain model. And if it's not, don't do it. Because 
blockchain is not the solution for for everything. I would I think that it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next twelve months. But I think well, what we things need... can happen. What's your view next twelve months in blockchain and marketing? Well, the hype bubbles burst. Yeah, so that all happened last year, um, and I think that you know moving forward, I think that a lot of um, a lot of talk is revolving around the the kind of tokenization um, utility token um, area, but also the biggest one is the platform. So at the moment we've got Ethereum, which which presents to us an alternative, um, one of the, one of the only credible alternatives to um, Bitcoin. So the platform itself is going to have to market is going to have to diversify and f- and find a competitive. Um, pool to play in and I think they that's definitely something that we need to watch over the next 12 months that other platforms will be springing up hopefully around and when you say platforms Ethereum. you mean so so Ethereum is a platform for blo- blockchain yeah but it's not the only one yeah um, but it, it has a, a credibility about it because of um, market forces around the ether and the way that um Different. I guess it has a, a brand identity because of the the nature of the brands that are getting involved in using the Ethereum um, infrastructure. So it's a whole market ready to be developed. And, and so you mean new platforms on top of the on Ethereum top of platform. Ethereum, but also as well as so new, in new, competition with so so the competition pool is non-existent at the moment. I think that's certainly a growth area that that's going to happen over the twelve months next twelve months, and it needs to happen. Um, because otherwise that the, there will be a kind of narrowing of 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 the market almost prematurely um, if this thing's going to have legs which I hope it does because it does provide I think at the moment intangible but um, but very exciting prospects for perhaps a new way of, of communicating um, brand brands um, identity across the consumer market well that is a profound and beautiful place to to leave it wow that was that was excellent I, um, I thought I understood blockchain better than I do you've clearly proved me, to me that I don't um, and it was really great to see some practical uh, examples of how marketers can use it and uh, I'm certainly going to check out those uh, couple of startups you mentioned because I think that'd be a, a yeah. really good first step so if people want to stay in touch with you how would they get in touch um, they can they can get me on um, Goldsmith's digital website, or you can find me on Twitter at Rachel M Falconer. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much.